Welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey, friends, and welcome back to High Tide, Low Tide. I am very, very excited today because... Not only am I recording an episode today, but it is actually as well the podcast's very first birthday. So June 1, June 1st, 2022 was the day that the podcast launched the very first episode, which was my story. That episode has now had almost 550 downloads, which is amazing. It's been up the longest, so it's got the most downloads. So that's really exciting. And also the podcast has like been listened to over, uh, what is that? 5,636 times, which is just so exciting. And I cannot believe how far I've come on this journey I was talking to um, my friend Katie, who was uh, one of my very first guests on the podcast earlier, and she's been with me on this whole roller coaster ride for some time now. And I sent her a photo, which is a selfie of me crying. <laughs> and it was taken in June uh, 2021. And it was the day that I had this like epiphany that the podcast was my next step. I just finished doing some like, um, it was like a, like a values workbook sort of self, I don't know, self growth type workbook. It was the first time I'd done any work like that. It was um, Sophie, I can never say her surname correctly, Gwydalyn, for her Flourish and Fulfilled course. And it was the first time I'd ever invested any any money into doing that sort of work. And I was going through it and you there's certain different little like things within the workbook that you figure out what your values are and what you want to do with your life and all those kind of things. And afterwards I had this like big moment where I had just decided that the podcast was what was next and that I wanted to be able to help as many people as possible um, by sharing my story and by sharing other people's stories. So just really amazing to be able to look back that that was in June 2021 and a year later in June 2022 the podcast launched and now in June 2023 I'm in my kitchen recording with my wonderful guest Bill Ryan welcome thank you congratulations it's so amazing to think about the impact that this podcast has had so well done to you and I'm looking forward to having a very real conversation today fantastic I just couldn't have thought of a better guest to have joined me today so thank you thank you <laughs> um so bell and i have known each other for about a year ish a little over a year yeah um we yeah we met um through mental health circles and mm-hmm. um did some stuff together yes so you listeners who have followed for a while may remember that i've been part of a 
a group of other women who go out to regional parts of South Australia and we deliver a program called Women's Wisdom and Wellbeing. Yes. So what was amazing about that was we each got to talk about our lived experience. I got to share some of my tools because Mm -hmm. I'm an art therapist. I got pushed into being (laughs) MC, so I got to interview you. So this is going to be interesting being the other way around now. (laughs) Yeah, so it was just a really amazing time last year being able to meet the likes of yourself, Nadine, Cecilia and Rach and being able to go out to different places within the state and meet with groups of women and talk about mental health and share a meal, which was incredible. Yeah, and the regional, going to regional areas is a passion of mine as well because I grew up. Um, in a regional area and it felt like going home in lots of different ways yeah and that's just so amazing and you know I was always so grateful for that and we do have some coming up this year as well yes so we're um I'm going back to Mm -hmm. Kangaroo Island in a few weeks and also we are planning some Riverland trips too so that will be awesome I know I can't wait to get back out on the road with you gals yeah it'll be great (laughs) awesome um, so would you like to start off by giving the listeners a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what you do? Sure. So I um, have lived an interesting life mm-hmm. with lots of varied experiences, just as everyone else has. Mm-hmm. But I'm currently a an art therapist slash mental health trainer and do lots of things professionally. But personally, I grew up in a small country town. That's why... I'm passionate about regional areas and had um, some life experiences that sort of happened, which we'll probably get into, mm-hmm. and currently have depression, anxiety and post-traumatic stress. Um, so I live and integrate that as well as being a professional who helps others with their mental health and well-being, and getting more into the organisational space where people can have a look at their stress, their burnout, how they're going, what do we do with that? So that's mm-hmm. sort of a summary of who I am in a nutshell. Amazing. And for anyone who may not have heard of the term of art therapy before, can you give us a bit of an explanation? Sure. It's one of those things that's really hard to describe yeah. until you do it. Um, one of the things that art therapy and why it's so beneficial is that we just use art as a mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that you can't find the words for, you can't talk about, you may not know what exactly what's happening. A shape, a line, a colour, a texture can describe something. So it's about expressing it, putting it somewhere so that you can see life differently and discover things about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that then relates to your life. Um, we talk in symbolism and metaphor all the time. Mm-hmm. And so art therapy is just using art, not for it to look good, mm-hmm. art for expression, insight, understanding, planning, And it's incredible because I continuously get amazed at what people get from it Mm -hmm. and where they go with it. And I must say, like, I hadn't really heard of art therapy prior to meeting you. And when we go out on the road to these um, groups, the activity that you do on that day, obviously you have many different activities that you do with clients and whatnot, but the one that we do with the ladies on the day, um, you know, they each get a piece of um, white paper and then we've got some uh, oil oil pastels oil pastels on the table and you just see everyone's face when you put the paper down you're like we're going to be doing art and everyone's like oh no I'm not an artist you know this is a, a, a normal sort of reaction that people tend to have 
And I've been lucky enough to actually do the um, activity a couple of times now. And it's, it's crazy. Like what just, you know, you just, you, you have to trust your like unconscious mind when you do it and you just pick a color and you just do whatever comes out on the page. And then at the end, you know, we, uh, we, you swap with a partner, right? And then you, you look back at your own art and you, you talk through what's on the page and it's, it's, it's incredible to be like, oh, yeah, that's because I was, you know, mad at this person <laughs> or, you know, I can see this is because the week, you know, this is all scribbly because my week's been crazy and my, you know, my mind's been all over the place. And it's, it, I, I found it really beneficial when I've yeah. done it. And we were doing scribble pictures, so it was literally a scribble. Mm, yeah. Um, and what it, what it does is it releases it from your body. It puts it somewhere. So mm-hmm. you, it's not swirling around in your mind mm-hmm. anymore. And, yeah, I love the eruption that happens in that room. Like yes. it's fun and playful and energetic. And, yeah. you know, one point we had paper planes flying across the room <laughs> and, you know, people ripped up their pictures and threw it in the air. But that's all expression mm-hmm. and it's beyond words. Like we don't always have the words or we don't know what to do, but it's trusting our instinct and expressing it in a completely different way. And, yeah, I love watching that and seeing where people go with it. Definitely, definitely like the vibe in the room when you're doing that is just like almost electric. Like people do just allow themselves to have fun. Yeah, definitely. And we were actually dealing with quite serious stuff at the same time. Yes. Um, yeah, so, and I think that that laughter and playfulness is a catharsis as well. Uh-huh. It's sort of people expressing in a different way. So, yeah, it's um, been amazing to watch and be mm-hmm. able to um, share that with people mm-hmm. in a really simple, easy way that's useful to them. Yeah, definitely. And you're mm. an amazing facilitator in that space, oh, so well you. done. <laughs> So obviously, you know, we're going to be talking through your journey with your own mental health today. Mm-hmm. So if you were to think back, um, is there like a, a quote unquote a start or something mm-hmm. that sort of flags for you where maybe things started to go awry? Yeah, well, I've always been like for as long as I can remember quite deep mm-hmm. and would absorb the environment around me or see things in people. So I think I've always been a really deep thinker. Mm-hmm. But for me, a significant event happened when I was about nine. Um, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And we're talking about the mid-80s where wow. that was very rare. And what sort of happened with that, no one really knew what to do. And he was my safe place. Mm-hmm. You know those people who you just you don't have to say anything, just their presence and that made you feel secure about life. Mm -hmm. So we lived in a small country town and when we got back from Adelaide after he was diagnosed, I realised people treated me very differently or they would avoid us when we walked into the general store or were awkward or even cross the road so that they didn't talk to us, which is a normal human response when you don't really know what to do. But for me, that had me feeling really isolated and alone. And I think that was the first time I felt different Mm -hmm. and realised that there was something happening for me that I couldn't describe Mm -hmm. and I couldn't process because even though people said they were with me or tell me anything or all that type of thing, I didn't feel that way because of people's actions and behaviours. And I can understand why Mm -hmm. that was 
not something that was that common. It was and a different time. Yeah. It was like to people, there would be people listening who would hear what you've just said and be like, what? Like yeah. people were avoiding you, people would leave the general store or cross the road. Like that wouldn't happen, I wouldn't imagine now. You know, I haven't lived in a country town, so I can't comment on that. But, like, here where I'm living in the suburbs, yeah. I couldn't imagine that happening. And I think one of the, the wonderful things and the challenges in being a small country town is everyone knows each other, True. knows True. each other's business, and you can't hide, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, my older siblings were at boarding school, so mm-hmm. mum and dad had to come to... Adelaide for treatment a lot. So I quite often was staying with other people. Um, My wonderful cousins were like my siblings at Mm -hmm. at some points and they were a normal place to be. Mm -hmm. But everything was just weird Mm -hmm. and I was pretty alone even though I had lots of people around me. And, of course, people wanted to support me. But also what happened and a significant part of the story, and I think this is highlighted where some of my mental health struggles came in was that three weeks into going to boarding school myself, Dad died. Um, So I was in a completely different environment Mm. and really misplaced anyway. And I remember coming back the day after the funeral or something and then going to school the next day and everyone made such a fuss and bother. You know, like I was in this spotlight that I didn't, want yeah and didn't know what to do with and you know people would hug me and want to be my best friend and um, I was sort of like oh I don't know what to do with this uh, the borders were I can't remember them being making too big a deal like they were all from the country they just I don't know probably blended in and it was just that really feeling like I didn't know what to do mm. and my poor sister and her friends, because they were the, my, the only familiar space for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I clung to them um, probably a lot more than they would have hoped. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very grateful for that as well. Um, but, yeah, just that sense of I'm in this completely different environment that's foreign to me. Mm-hmm. It's an all-girls school. I have to wear a uniform, <laughs> you know, yeah. all that stuff. And I think yeah. it was just that, that real sense of feeling alone. Yeah. Yeah, and different to everyone else. And a week later, you know, all the fuss and bother had gone and Mm. the show was over. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think that is one part of that. And I remember, um, I mean, that happening when you're 12, 13, it's a significant age for your identity formation and all that sort of stuff without sounding like a therapist now. Um, (laughs) No, it is. Yeah. Very, you know, very true. Um, And so that really lingers with me like Mm. anyone who's gone through a trauma Mm -hmm. um at a certain age you know it really does stick with you and that's a significant age for that to happen Mm -hmm. um so I remember just feeling really dark Mm -hmm. and I can't sort of describe that feeling um Mm -hmm. of having everyone around me like I lived with 90 other people yeah like literally yeah and just feeling completely alone mm. in that. Mm. And this is like this 
type of conversation, the difference between alone and lonely has been a reoccurring theme for me and a conversation I'm having with lots of people lately. They're two very different things. You can be surrounded by 90 other children at a boarding school and feel alone and isolated. That's a feeling that comes from inside from things that have happened right yeah yeah definitely and and I still experience that and it's mm-hmm. it's a pattern and a an experience that still lives with me in different ways mm-hmm. um but something that I'm very aware of and have a different insight into being now. an adult now yeah um, as well so. yeah mm-hmm. and so you know all of this had happened and you're at the, the boarding school and you had started to feel alone and and a bit down and dark what kind of happened next? Did that just continue to progressively get worse or? I used to just pretend everything was okay. Mm. Um, you know, I would do sport, um, try and get involved in things, do all that. But now that I look back, actually I feel really emotional about this, mm. I used to pull my own hair out. Mm-hmm. I had, I had like psoriasis, which it's like a skin condition and what I know of that is that usually that happens when someone's under stress. Yeah. And that was on my head and oh. so I used to pick at that. So now I look back on that and think, yeah, yeah there was probably a bit of self-harm sort of stuff going on with that because it didn't, it never healed. Right. But I had no awareness that I was con- I was doing that. It wasn't to feel pain. It wasn't um, anything that um, I know can yeah. be a reason for that. But I'm just like, yeah, that, that's a fair indicator Yeah. Um, as well. And I also, through that experience of the way people treated me and that type of thing, I'm very hypervigilant to people, what you say, what you do, your behaviours and actions need to match because I'm, I'm trying to work out what's happening because if you're not talking to me, can do that and I remember having a boarding house supervisor who now that I look back um crossed a lot of boundaries and I am a bit of the fairness police yeah (laughs) and so had a bit of a a reaction to that and I was told Mm -hmm. if I have a problem with it write a letter I'll write it down uh big life (laughs) lesson don't do that (laughs) um so I uh got in a little bit of trouble for telling my opinion and my truth. And oh. this is something about, I now, now sometimes struggle to give Voice. my real opinion. Yeah. Um, but uh, what happened with that is mum got called and had to come for a meeting the next day. Oh. Um, you know, so she had to drive 400 kilometres because oh. I'd written a letter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but for my punishment, I was told I needed to go see a psychologist so I wouldn't get expelled or... Um, there'll be no consequences if I went and saw a psychologist. Can I just ask, did they use the term, like, for your punishment? I can't remember whether they used that, but that's what it but felt it like. Was, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, regardless. I distinctly remember sitting at the table. Wow. Um, and mum was really super supportive. Like, she was just like, well, you know, we will do this. Yeah. And yeah. I never forget walking into the psychologist's office and he seemed really old. <laughs> it was probably my age now. Oh. Um, and it was a big desk and he had, like, it was actually a little bit cliched like you see in the movies, like the leather, yeah. Chesterfield couch and all that sort of stuff. And we did the intake and then mum left the room. Mm-hmm. And i never forget he leant over 
and ask me one question. And I can't even remember what that question is because it would be very handy (laughs) in my profession right now to know what that was. Um, So I think he asked me how I was. Right. And I cried and talked for a whole hour. And I remember it felt like five minutes. Yes. And I think that was a really... I had to do a talk a couple of years ago about purpose mm-hmm. and oh, I was a wreck every time I thought about this moment because I was mm-hmm. like I'd never really thought about how significant that was to have someone who listened, mm-hmm. held space, it felt safe. Yeah, I don't even know what that was but it, it, it has led me and I think about that, that space mm-hmm. is what I do for others now but... I was just like, wow. And T would have just asked me a normal question that he asked everyone else. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I only went back like one or two two more times, but that was really significant in as far as going, oh, mm. there's some stuff here, but highlights the importance of needing to talk about what was happening because no one talked about it. No. Especially back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And just like, and just for me, highlights how we've, really most of us just really want to be heard and understood yes and like having this person who's there dedicated in a room for an hour to just listen to what you need to get off of your chest and need to express like there's so much power in that yeah definitely and I would never have thought a boarding house supervisor that I uh, didn't necessarily gel with Mm -hmm. um would yeah, all the stuff about dad dying coming mm-hmm. out in that session um, would even be related. Mm-hmm. But that goes to show that our behaviours and things that happen and what we think and how we react to things, mm-hmm. there's so much more happening at that time and mm-hmm. I know that for myself as well. Yeah. Did you experience any stigma with at that time with the fact that you had to go see the psychologist? Um, I don't think... It was advertised that I was seeing a psychologist. Yeah. I remember at the time thinking, until I I met him, thinking, oh, this is a bit serious Mm -hmm. um, and that type of thing. But I do remember mum being really supportive and, you know, she was, I don't know, I look back and think, wow, (laughs) she was grieving, you know, she was only 40 or so when he died and had four kids and running a farm and Mm. wasn't well herself and all that stuff. But she was so supportive of, well, this is what we need to do. This is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember it being very different to what other people would have done. But then no one talked about it. So Yeah, so we don't know, do we? (laughs) Maybe everyone's going to a psychologist for punishment. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, because even if I think back to, like, when I first saw a psychologist, that would have been in 2005, 2006 or Mm. something like that. And I remember at that time that I was worried about people knowing because... No one, because at that time still no one was really talking about it. So it was interesting. Yeah, yeah I do remember thinking um, I don't want this to be the family conversation. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it wasn't, like if it was now, mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't have an issue with that because that's what I advocate for, for yeah. people seeking help. Um, but it, um, yeah, we're talking 1990, so it's a very different time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
So then after you had started, um, or you saw the psychologist those few times, how did things um, turn around after that? Um, I still remember um, school not being all, like, it was great. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm very fortunate that I have a, being able to be educated and have mm-hmm. a different um, sort of outlook on life. But I remember I enjoyed school a lot more when I came into like year 11 and mm-hmm. there was a couple of new boarders who I really gelled with and just felt at home with. And that's still my friends now. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So I think we've worked it out. It's 35 years we've known each other. Amazing. Or, um, or 32 years. So that's highlights the importance of just having people who you feel safe with. And it's not necessary that we talked about stuff. They didn't know my history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just about these people who you connect with and feel safe with. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I think that's that sense of almost like a bit of a community but that connection piece is just so important. This is something that I'm always going on about, I swear. Yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> it's important so. to have people in your corner like that. Yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. I guess... Um, I'm always a little bit wary of, uh, because of my younger life experiences, am I too much? Is it too much? How does this work? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So that's a developmental sort of thing. But, yeah, yeah. I think what I've learnt as I've got older is it's connecting with the right people. Mm-hmm. It's not about the amount of people. Mm-hmm. It's actually about those people you feel safe with and can be your full self. Yeah, that mm. authentic self, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah, I'd rather have a handful of really close friends and, you know, a, a football field worth of friends that you don't really know that well. Yeah, and, you know? and you know, as we said before, I never forget being in a room um, at an event and I was speaking and I think there was 250 people there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was amazing. It went well. But I never forget just feeling totally isolated and like, mm. oh, I might need to go and get some support at the moment and things like that. So yes. that's one of the things that is an indicator to me of where my own mental health is at. Mm-hmm. How's my isolation? What do I need to do with that? Mm-hmm. And how do I help myself be well? Yeah. Mm. Um, now, obviously, like mental health, as we know, is something that we manage our over our lifetime and we have ups and we have downs and whatnot that was school sort of how how are we going how are we going in between that time and up until now yeah so I remember I mum dragged me to work with her one day um because I wanted to be a filmmaker and, and couldn't oh. get work straight away so yeah. now I look at people's stories without the film um <laughs> so and I remember um I've always worked really hard and it's a bit of a family trait. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in a, this job where I loved it. It was great. But I was really teary all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those communities where it was a school, had a boarding school. One of the teacher's husbands was the GP who came to the school and yeah. all that sort of thing. And I used to see him as my GP. And I never forget mum mentioning, because mum worked in the boarding school there, Mm -hmm. um, to mark that I had been um, really teary and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is the GP? Yeah. Yeah. So, and he mentioned, um, how are you doing? You know, are you okay? And I was so cross with her for mentioning Uh... it to him. And I was like, that's a breach of privacy, rah, rah, rah. Mm -hmm. 
I know it came from a place of care. But that was the first time that I really recognised that there was something more happening. And he suggested that I go on medication, which I refused to do. What age was this? Uh, I was probably 25. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So a few um, years since the... Yeah. And, yeah, and he... Um, yeah, talk to me mm-hmm. about mindfulness and, you know, have a look at these things. So it was really my first taste of, oh, there's something else happening. Yeah. But I did go to, um, well, I tried to go to another <laughs> psychologist and, ah, oh, she just, she wasn't like the man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. She right, it just wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important is that, it's like clothes. They don't always fit. One hundred percent. And so it is um, searching for someone who is a better fit. Mm-hmm. And so I did try another person. Oh, actually, no. He <laughs> referred me to a hypnotherapist Ooh. slash psychiatrist, like a person who did that. That was not the right fit either. Okay. Yep. So, But we tried. We were searching yes. for something um, as well. And I think what I was searching for was connection mm. um, to mm-hmm. myself and to work out what was actually happening. So I did give it a go, but then I went on this path of self-development and I had some colleagues who said um, that I should be a counsellor mm-hmm. um, because I was working in this school and a lot of the kids use my office as a drop-in centre. So what actually happened was I studied and had the personal development um, process at the same time. And then I met different people and sought different therapists out. Um, And I've done lots of different types of therapy. I mean, I'm an art therapist, so I've done lots of art therapy, but people who, you know, the hypnotherapy stuff, equine therapy, pure counselling. Equine therapy? Yeah. Oh, cool. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, So I've always looked for different modalities modalities to connect to me in a different way. Yeah. It's not always talking. Um, so I was very lucky. I mean, as a clinician now, I need to constantly check in with a professional when we talk about clients and the way that um, things react. And that was one of my old uni lecturers. Oh. Um, and so she's known me for a long time and can almost pick my signs and symptoms of when <laughs> she'll just yeah. go, hey, Belle, what's going yeah. on here? So it's really nice. I've had a long-term mm. person who I've constantly che- checked in with, but I've had different therapists for different reasons at different times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a really good conversation because a lot of people just think that there's medication and there's talk therapy and there's nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. When there's so many different modalities out there, you know, they may not be for you, but you won't know until you've tried. Yeah, definitely. And it is a bit of, unfortunately, yeah, trying to sort of see what fits and where you are led and yeah. what works for you. And, um, you know, you might have someone, like your best friend might say, I'll go and see this person, they're amazing, and it's just not the right person for you at that time. Yeah. So it's not that that person's a bad practitioner. It's just yeah. right now this is what I need. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I've done a lot of that and I think it's really important. I have the skills to hold the space for other people, mm-hmm. but I can't do that for myself. Mm. I can do art therapy processes and reflection and, you know, it's part of my wellbeing strategy, but mm-hmm. um, it's really important that I have my my things held by someone else as well. Definitely. Mm. So, like, for anyone listening, we have someone who's a therapist who's just said they see a therapist. So if you don't think you should be seeing a therapist, it's 
we all need to have space held for us in one way or another. So, like, I just, I don't know, I'm just such a huge supporter of, you know, finding the right person in that space, though, definitely, and not being, you know, don't be put off if one doesn't fit. Because, you know, I, I get it. Like, I've been there as well and I've yeah. been to see therapists and walked out and gone, no, that wasn't the right person. They don't take it personally. They no. know that, you know. So, yeah, if it doesn't feel right, find someone else. Yeah, and I, one thing that I say to my clients is, if there's something not working in this space for you, tell me because I, I actually, this is your space. It's, it's not mine yeah. that you need to fit into. It's about... How do we work together on what you need? Yeah. Yeah, as well. But also, you know, talking about stigma, I do sometimes get nervous about talking about my own therapy stuff and my own story because I think, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a counsellor, art therapist. I, I should have it all together. But the reality is we don't. You know, it's we're human beings and we have life experiences. In actual fact, my own lived experiences informs how I am as a therapist more than I ever give credit for Mm -hmm. Um, and what I've liked and disliked about my own mental health, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say journey, Um, (laughs) it has really informed Mm. how I can hold space for others as well. But also knowing that when I'm not well, I don't hold space for others either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really mindful of how I navigate and integrate my own mental health and mental illness into my everyday. Yeah. And that self-awareness is really key. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So after mum dobbed on you (laughs) and you weren't very pleased with her, what was next from there? Um, So I ended up uh, working for an organisation that young people who were living with cancer, so people who had um, parents as well as um, siblings and all themselves have cancer as well. And it's quite um, interesting that I would end up in a space mm. where if I was a young person at that point would have been a participant in the programs that we ran. Yeah. And I found that really healing actually, even though we weren't able to professionally reveal what our lived experience was. Right, so you couldn't tell anyone who was there that you'd had that your father had been unwell and had... Oh. No, um, that was part of um, policy and all okay. that type of thing. But it informed everything I did. And I quite As often word, had young yeah. people who were like, oh, Belle, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know, how do you know that? Um, right. I'd be like, and my standard line was, I don't know what it is for you. Yeah. But I would imagine, and then I'd draw on my experience. So then I worked there and then worked um, in paediatric palliative care. Mm-hmm. And so very caring professions, mm-hmm. um, you know, dealing with a lot of heavy energy and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things and why I'm so passionate about workplace wellbeing is that we really need to be aware of where we're at with that, mm-hmm. um, with how are we, mm-hmm. how are we really, how do we know? And so one of the great things that I was often rewarded for and wore as a badge of honour was working hard mm. um, and not necessarily switching off. And so I have experienced burnout a few times yeah, um, as well. But there was an incident that happened at work um, where I saved someone's life on a suicide attempt. Wow. And 
that was a really big turning point for me as far as what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I remember the moment and sitting on the floor um, with them in this police and ambulance and um, people had arrived and just having this feeling of complete compassion and understanding and just I think I even said to them, it's going to get better. I know it will. You know, this is a moment in time and we can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think for me I get quite emotional about that because I've also been in that place, um, you know, not not to an attempt but, mm-hmm. you know, suicidal ideation I think is something that needs to be talked about a lot more. Um, it's not that people necessarily want to die, it's they just don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I know for myself that is something that's not unfamiliar for myself as well. Yeah. But what um, what happened was I didn't resign because of that incident. Mm-hmm. It highlighted to me what I wanted. Mm. Yeah. And at the time I was really affected by it, mm-hmm. um, but I that was a trauma response and... It was that I didn't feel supported in it because everyone else moved on, but it was still within myself yeah. and my body of this experience. And actually, this is the influence that uh, colleagues can have on each other. I remember like the, this happened on a Friday afternoon. Tuesday was my next day back at work mm-hmm. and colleagues hadn't realised this had happened over the weekend mm-hmm. and a, one, a couple of colleagues did because they was sort of um, back up and, you know, supporting me in the process. And I never forget, like, whatever my day was, I had to go out to um, a client's place and I saw one client and then went to go to the next one and had a massive panic attack. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the work car, Uh um, out and about. I'm like, shit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what do I do? So I managed to ring and I was like, I'll ring EAP. Like, mm-hmm. I had enough insight to go, right, I know I'm not okay, what do I need to do? So rang EAP, they could get me in straight away. So that's Employee Assistance Program. Um, so I did that and had a conversation, managed to get myself back to work mm-hmm. and then um, had lunch in the park with a colleague. I said, I just need you to, I need to be outside, I need to be grounded, I need to do this. So they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing and how I'm supporting you, but yeah, it's like, so that was really important. But what I, um, what had happened was for the next few weeks, there was one particular family that I was supposed to visit and I was avoiding it like no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like I could not bring myself to go see them. Mm -hmm. And this particular family, it wasn't unusual for me if I didn't get in touch with them just to call in and check on them. Mm -hmm. Um, and a colleague actually said to me, do you think it's got anything to do with the last time you turned up to someone's house when you were worried about them? And it was just like this penny dropped of like, oh, my God. Yeah. So it was really, it was like that moment where she was like, I've been thinking about it. And so it was like she was just understood without understanding I was like what's the possibility here I've noticed you're avoiding this 
And so what she did, she's like, oh, I'm going to be out north today. How about I call in first mm-hmm. and see what it's like and then I'll ring you and then you can come out. And I was just like, yeah. Oh. So that moment of fear and yeah, I didn't even know what was happening for me, a colleague mm. just helped in what she wouldn't have even considered to be anything that was inconvenient, you know, that yeah. she was just doing her job. Um, and so I look at that and think, wow, people can really make a difference Huge. without even realising. Yeah. yeah. But I knew over the next 12 months I wasn't right. Yeah. I have real sensitivities to certain sensory um, mm. things and it was vicarious trauma. It's not necessarily related to that particular incident but it was just, yeah, overload and overwhelm and yeah. I can't manage things like I would normally. Mm-hmm. And I know that people would have noticed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know, it was never talked explicitly to me. Yeah. But when I left that job, I think when you're in it, you're just getting by. Um, but I, like, crashed like no tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And once you'd left. Yeah, yeah. So it was like it all came tumbling on me. Yeah. Um, and couldn't really function that well. I was running a business. Mm-hmm. I was subcontracting to another organisation and, and I was teaching as well. And they were like my lifelines because I had purpose and meaning for somebody else yeah. and I couldn't let them down and that was actually really beneficial for me. Yeah. But a lot of the time outside of that and coincidentally a couple of friends had moved away who were my sort of, you know, the people you just call in on and, you know, next minute you're having dinner with them and yeah. all that sort of yeah. stuff. And um, so that just happened to happen at the same time. So my support network wasn't like it was normally. Previously, yeah. Yeah, so... That sort of happened, but I was seeking therapy. I've always sought therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was really tough. Yeah. And just it was like a fog. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could get up and function to do work. Yeah. But aside from that, I was in bed a lot. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And so this, would you have called this period of time that you were burnt out? Yeah, like, or um, depression in actual fact. Yeah. I went to the doctors because I get low iron and I just needed to get a blood test form, you know, Mm -hmm. just a normal thing. And I was sitting in the waiting room and sound is a particularly hard thing for me to integrate and certain sounds. And there was this child in the waiting room with like a toy aeroplane and it made this sound of a toy aeroplane. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just going over and over and over and over again. So by the time I got into the GP, she was like, are you all right? And I was a wreck. So I went in for a blood form and came out with a mental health care plan. Yeah, and I was like, oh, (laughs) okay. And she was like, how long has this been happening? Yeah. Um, And then that's just like, you've got post-traumatic stress and we need to do something about this. Wow. So I was just living and just putting up with it, just thinking, oh, I'm a bit sensitive to sounds. But yeah. it's my whole being that just goes into distress and trauma. Wow. Yeah. And, like, you know, GPs are overrun. 
So like I'm like grateful that she she yeah took that that time and actually was paying attention to what was obviously going on for you in that moment and took the time to have that extra conversation. Yeah, I was just, really heightened and yeah yeah like and yeah she noticed yeah um, and also <laughs> probably cried or something as well. Yeah, mm. well I mean there was a lot going on. Yeah, who <laughs> would have thought sitting in a waiting room can be so stressful? Well, <laughs> but also for me like um you know the way it plays out is like going to the hairdressers for me is a massive deal because there's so many sounds and yeah. things happening and you know, I'm getting my hair dyed and I have to wear my noise cancelling headphones, which is not ideal when you're trying to get your hair, hair yeah. dyed and things yeah. like that. So it has impacted my life, the post-traumatic stress, in lots of ways, but I've learnt to integrate it and try and manage it. Mm-hmm. My friends know, um, you know, went out for drinks the other night and we went to a little bar and even my fr- one of my friends was just like, oh, is the sound okay here? Like, so they're aware of it yeah. and I really love that because yeah. the, it shows that they care and connect mm-hmm. um, to what I need because um, there's lots of things that I can't do sometimes. Yeah. yeah, and we need people like that who are looking out for us in that space. So that's And bars can be really noisy. Yeah. There's a lot going on, yeah. like not just audio but, you know, yeah. Energy and busyness yes. and, yeah, like Lights. just overstimulation yeah so yeah it's um yeah I really crashed and burned but Mm -hmm. I've had to come to the point where I need to look after myself and that's Mm -hmm. been probably one of the biggest challenges as a caring person or a person who everyone looks to for support or have made a career out of it all that sort of stuff too it's really hard to go actually no I can't do that Mm -hmm. and I need to look after myself as well yeah definitely. not always easy no it's easy to say though <laughs> yeah but um I think I'm similar in that I often will put others first um because you want to to give and you want to care for others and you know I want you know to take care of others so I think we often put ourselves on the back burner but it's something that I've been working on myself as well yeah, and I know for myself sometimes, like, I love supporting people. It's mm-hmm. I get something back from that. But when I've only got limited capacity, I don't have any fuel in the tank mm-hmm. to manage anymore. And in actual fact, we talk about this is probably five, six years ago where I left my previous employment and you think, oh, that's in the past. But in actual fact, last year was one of the most challenging years I've had with my mental health because I was overloaded and it was coming out all directions. Right. And what I learned when I crashed was mm-hmm. that it wasn't because things were going bad. I had some amazing things happening. You know, I was speaking at conferences, you know, doing our regional tour and, mm-hmm. you know, it was so, I had some great new connections in my life, you know, all of this stuff. But I, you know, had a time where for the first time I had considered, you know, do I want to be here or not? Mm-hmm. And that scared me, um, you know, I was able to use my tools and things but also... I think what is hard when I think about the people around me is that they're not used to me sharing how I am. 
mm-hmm. I'm the one who asks everyone else how they are and mm-hmm. manages it. And, you know, I had a friend say to me, he was like, oh, you know, I love the way that you just keep picking yourself up and facing all these things. It's like, yeah, I do, but there comes a point where I don't feel like I can pick myself up anymore mm-hmm. and I needed to stop and pause and really have a look at what do I need to do with this? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the importance of, you know, for me asking for help doesn't go, hey, I'm having a bad day, I'm depressed, <laughs> I'm triggered, yeah. I'm all of these things. It looks like, do you want to come over for dinner? Yes. Do you want to go for a walk tomorrow? Um, can we have a game of Finska? <laughs> you know, all yeah. of that stuff. Oh, no, flip. Yeah, Uno, <laughs> yeah, when we were away on tour, we played Uno flip. Actually, games are one of my biggest... I love playing games because it's fun, frivolous. I can bring the competitive spirit yeah. out. Lisa's got a very competitive spirit, I would say. Um, it's connection. Yeah. and it's Without connect- having to have deep and meaningful conversations. Yes. And it's also not like, hey, do you want to come over and we'll watch something on TV or we'll pick something on Netflix and we won't speak for the next hour and a half? Mm. It's interactive and it's conversation provoking and I don't know, I really like board games and I'm getting into them now. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a new one um, which uh, we'll do on tour when we go again. Yeah. So. Actually, um, while we're on board games, mm. one a guy I used to work with, his name is Jeff Broad, um, he's... He left where we work together. He's going to work for a board game company and he's making YouTube videos and like doing review, reviews on board games and they're called, it's called Broad Games because it's Ooh. his last name. Highly recommend. <laughs> I've goes, so much. There goes many hours of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think um, that's one of the things mm. is that I don't always look like I'm a mess. Yeah. Um, and behind the scenes. But I think as I get older, that mask has got thinner mm-hmm. and I can't pretend anymore because the energy it takes. Oh, yeah. You know, so at the moment um, I'm really aware of where I need to place my energy mm-hmm. and I've really noticed I'm hanging out with certain people because I don't have to pretend I'm okay I don't have to put the the energy that it takes to actually just have a conversation sometimes. And one of the things that I find really challenging is when people try and help or fix it or want to have the, a big dose of positivity mm. um, when I just need to connect. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's one of the, the challenging parts Um, as well but also when I'm not well my behavior can be withdrawal but I can also be aggressive and reactive Mm -hmm. and no filter and um really sensitive and Mm -hmm. say things that Belle everyday Belle would never say yeah and one thing I think that I've come to know is when I'm dysregulated like that, I need to take notice of that and do something about it mm-hmm. because, oh, it's like then I go into shame bubble and then the cycle continues mm-hmm. and then it's like you're bad and, you yeah. know, my thought processes are not that positive either. So I think one of the things that I quite often speak about and 
need to embrace for myself is noticing those signs, mm-hmm. but also all, all behaviours communication. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a crier, but I get angry. Yeah, yeah. And sensitive to things or, you know, will react to something mm-hmm. that at the end of the day I don't care that, I don't know, the crow's lost or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that I've reacted to that, but I'm just trying to think of a normal example. Yeah. yeah, but also I think that's for people around me is to recognise mm-hmm. that, oh, there's something not okay here. Yeah, yeah. And instead of making it about themselves, it's like, you know, are you okay? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Mm-hmm. It's just like poisonous bell just came out Mm. um what's happening for you and so I think that's something really important for all of us to take on yeah it's like actually that's not you what what's going on here are you okay because as a person who is a therapist and that I very rarely get asked if I'm okay yeah which is really interesting to me Mm -hmm. or do I just have the don't talk to me vibe (laughs) or something um but, yeah, this can be people quite close to me. Yeah. Um, it's well. interesting um, that you use that sort of, that that's your, what you you default to anger. Yeah. I'm n- never default to anger. I'm the crier. Yeah, I wish I was sometimes. <laughs> so, but then there's times where, like, uh, I'm not angry, but I'll get snappy. Yeah. And it's only ever, very unfortunately, with my mum. And she will have done absolutely nothing wrong. But because I'm feeling, you know, I may be slipping and maybe not feeling very good about myself or life or whatever it is at that time, she's my safe place. So yes. it's, and I know how this is going to sound, but it's almost like she's the one I can safely take it out on. Like it's not the right, I, I don't mean it like that at all, but like, and it's not like I'm nasty to her, but I might answer something back short when I wouldn't normally mm. do that. And then afterwards I'll go into that guilt cycle and I'll message her and I'll be like, I'm really sorry, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, it's all good. I just know when you're like that, I'll just like not ask you questions. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is that that's, there's safety in yeah. that. But it also, you don't want to be that. No, not at all. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's interesting to consider and bring awareness to the fact that not everyone is going to react the same. So, you know, like you are saying with the anger. Okay, so that's unusual for Belle's behaviour. Maybe something's not right or maybe this person is, you know, I haven't heard from them in three days. That's unusual for their behaviour. Maybe something's not right. Mm. So it's just it's not always going to be the person crying under a blanket on the lounge yes. that's feeling depressed. Yeah, yeah. I've been and that person many times, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I have too, but I've also been really depressed and still done a full day's work. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because you also, you know, depending on where you're at, you just got to do what you've got to do still in a yeah. day. Yeah, no. definitely. So, yeah, it's really interesting um, to sort of think about how does that play out and mm. um, what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, like, that last year was quite a bad year for you. When I when we had this conversation, you told me that, like, I had no idea. Mm. So, <laughs> actually, our second um, talk that we did, we did it up in Adelaide Hills, mm-hmm. and I nearly cancelled. Mm-hmm. And I actually took the whole week off work, I cancelled clients. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I, once upon a time, I would never have done that. Mm-hmm. I had a gig just before as well. Like yeah. I had two workshops in three hours. Yeah, which <laughs> um, is a lot. And I wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time I would have pushed through, would have just kept going, kept going, kept going, knowing that I would crash and burn mm-hmm. after all. But I flipped it which was good. And I actually remember Mm -hmm. the first thing I sort of said when we started that talk was, isn't it amazing the drive up to the hills? And then I talked about the fact that I'd had the toughest week I'd ever had. And they applauded me. Yeah. And I was actually like, oh, man, here's a group of strangers. I mean, we were talking about mental health. Yes. And well-being. But, yeah, in that moment I remember just thinking, oh, it's okay. Just yeah. to go, yeah, I'm having a tough week. I'm not well and it's okay. And here I am ready to do some art therapy with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think these days, like, people really appreciate that kind of vulnerability. Yeah, know? definitely. I would, you know, I would rather, you know, have, you have stood up there and said what you did than you just trying to hold everything inside and being inauthentic. I think people could really... I think they related to the fact that you were just honest with how your week had been. Yeah, and um, that's why we need to have more of these conversations and be real about it. But it's even hard. You know, that's Mm. the whole purpose in us being there. Yeah. And to actually do that. And I remember um, you were all very supportive Mm. um, because you then realised, oh, wow, she's had a big week. Yeah. Um, And that was just lovely as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, just to go, oh, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the things that you do now to take care of your mental health? One of the things that I have to do is to be really aware of how I feel in my body. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have regular body work. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sometimes like, I don't even know what's called, Bowen therapy or it's like massage or it's, uh, it might be a bit more spiritual sometimes, um, that type of thing, because I know my body tells me how I am. Yeah. Um, And that can be heavy, but Mm -hmm. also there's a lot of trauma that's held in my body. Yeah. Um, And so it's working on that. Mm -hmm. I go for one of the best gifts of COVID was (laughs) um, a friend and I started walking because the only way you could have contact with people is if you exercised. Yes. And so we started walking (laughs) and uh, now we do that every week. We haven't done it for a few weeks, but we're going to. And that is amazing because it's nature, Mm -hmm. like, oh, just fresh air. I love open sky. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm having a challenging day, going outside is really beneficial for me. And I think it's seeing open sky. Yeah. Um, That's really important. But if I'm having um, a particularly hard week, I make sure I take my shoes off. Mm -hmm. Um, If if I need it even more, I put my... A walk in the water mm-hmm. um, to wash all the stuff away. So it's this metaphoric, symbolic sort of thing that happens. Yeah. As well as I do my own art practice. Yeah. Probably not as much as I should do. <laughs> um, mandalas. Mandalas. Is that how you say it? Yeah, mandalas. Yeah. Yes. And I do this funny doodle thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I've actually done since Dad was sick. Oh so wow! I used to do art when that experience sort of happened and because it was the only way I could express and describe. 
yeah. what was happening. So no yeah. mistake that I'm now an artist. No, not at all. Yeah. Everything makes sense. Yeah. So sometimes I just, that's zoning out and yeah. letting the rest of the world go on hold for a while. Now, this is going to sound really weird. But <laughs> My favourite things are weird. Yeah. I get HelloFresh. So that's like meals ready to go and then cook. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the reasons why that is one of the best mental health strategies I have is that I can get decision fatigue. Yes. So deciding what to have for dinner. Like I remember one day, I, I think I was in the supermarket for about an hour and a half and walked out with nothing. Oh, no. Because I couldn't decide. Like yeah. when I'm not well, my brain is foggy. Yes. I cannot get my shit together. Mm-hmm. And so trying to decide what to shop for. Mm-hmm. Um, was too much so I get that mm-hmm. purely from it's really convenient as well but it's the decision making process that yeah. I try and eliminate I love that as mm. a mental health strategy like seriously like I think a lot of people would benefit from doing that if they're able to do it yeah you know? yeah and I'm just like it actually just saves and also it saves me calling in at KFC on the way home yeah. because yeah. what we consume can um, really influence us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't watch the news mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I watch what I consume because I take it on, especially if I've had a tough, not a tough day, a day mm-hmm. with clients who I'm listening to their stories and their experiences and everything that happens. I don't need to go home and listen to more. It's too much. Yeah. So it's watching how much I uh, overload yeah. my senses in um, negative, more challenging things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's one of my self-care things. People are like, well, how do you know what's going on? It's like if there's something major... Oh, no, from yeah. social media. Oh, I'm the same because yep. uh, um, I don't have a TV, so <laughs> I'm not watching the news. I don't read a newspaper. And you're right. You you still get the news that you need outside yeah. of that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, I mean, this is going to sound potentially selfish, but it's like I actually can't care about all of those things. Yeah. Because at the moment... I'm at 30% capacity Mm -hmm. and if I'm at 30% capacity and that's what I'm giving, that's 100%. Mm -hmm. So it's about, okay, what do I need to do with this? Um, I love going to the movies Mm -hmm. by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I do go with friends as well, but I love getting lost in stories and all that, but I do need to be really mindful of what movies I see. Mm -hmm. So... When I watched A Star Is Born, that was a three-week trauma response mm-hmm. that um, took me that long to recover. And so it's a it highlights how mm-hmm. much I need to be aware of what content is in movies. And in case anyone hasn't seen the movie, to put that into context, there's a suicide within the movie. Yes. So that was triggering for yourself, obviously, as because of what we've talked through, what you've yeah. been through. So. And, yeah, the second that I saw a certain look, I was like, oh, hello. And yeah. my whole body went into, like, shock. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it's just being aware of those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not to deny myself of life. It's just going, yeah, I can't do that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we were saying, like, I wouldn't have even known going into that movie that that was 
a part of the storyline yeah either so and in actual fact there's been a recent one with um, a tom hanks movie that i was going to go see and one of my clients talked about oh there being suicide content in it i was like oh yeah i'm not avoiding that one yeah um even though i wanted to see it i was like oh maybe i'll be okay and there's like no oh, don't no, put yourself just, through it's that. not worth it <laughs> so um other things is having therapy mm-hmm. um i've been working really hard on saying what I want mm-hmm. and saying no to things. So important to say no. I know. It's mm. very hard though. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the things I'm saying no to is because I do want to do them. Yes. But I don't have capacity to do them. So we were talking earlier about there's a, a breakthrough fundraising ball coming up mm-hmm. and I know that that will be overstimulation for me and I can't do that, even though I would love to be on the dance floor and, of you know, course, yeah. meeting everyone and raising money. I just mm-hmm. know it's beyond me. Um, yeah. So it's like, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of having transition space mm-hmm. um, for me, it's, yeah, last year when I was struggling, I had lots of self-care things mm-hmm. that I was doing. Like I did clay class and oh, yeah, I, remember you know, I was walking that. and I was doing things, but they actually became overloads. Yes, like a so chore. It was, yeah, it was like it's another thing to do and I, I'm just like, but why isn't it working? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's right because you've packed your schedule. This is me. And there's lots of other priorities and all of those things that are happening. So it's being really aware of is this giving to me Mm -hmm. or is this something that I need to just say no to for now, even though I would really love to. Yeah, yeah. I think Mm. that's really important of just being aware of the fact that even though we want to do something, have we given ourselves enough time for rest or downtime? Or, you know, if I've scheduled myself for five different fun things on a Saturday, (laughs) am I going to enjoy every single one of the five things on a Saturday if I have no time to actually relax? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's that sort of, you know, just managing workload. So I um, pace my week um, Mm -hmm. being in my own business. I'm very fortunate. I know this week I've had a few things Mm -hmm. on each night. And so I know Sunday is really important to have that space. So it's, yeah. it's really managing diaries and schedules and yeah. the flow of life. And it's taking me a long time mm-hmm. going from a complete workaholic who just filled every minute of every day yeah. and focused on work, mm-hmm. probably because I was scared of the space, mm-hmm. um, to now knowing I need that space and it's not negotiable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, you know, have the luxury of going, okay, I've had a big weekend. I've done this. I need to take Wednesday off yeah, um, and can work my clients around that. So, yeah, I'm just trying to pace things a lot better so that I can be well Mm -hmm. to support others. Absolutely. Because if I'm not doing that for myself, they don't get the best of me either. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. So what do you think that, like, society can maybe do better in the mental health space from your, in your opinion? I think one of the things that we can do better as a society is to come back to the fact that you don't have to fix Mm. anything when somebody Mm -hmm. is struggling. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate the listening, the hanging out, just being together, uh, that sort of stuff. You know, I think about some of the things that have been said to me and it's like people say really well-meaning things 
but I don't need to unpack everything all the time. I actually sometimes need to just do temping bowling. Yeah. Or yeah. play the games or just hang out at your house mm-hmm. or play with your kids or, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing that I think um, sometimes we feel like it needs to be a big, big thing. Yeah. But in actual fact, listening is the key. One of the things that I don't want anyone to do, and I've experienced this a few times more than I would like, uh, is when people say, I'm here for you, I, and, you know, let me, just ring me if something's wrong, and then they're not available mm. um, when the, the case does, or I'll check in with you later in the week and then you don't hear from them. It's well-meaning. Yes. And I genuinely believe those people mean that when they say it, but the the non-follow-through and that sort of stuff can have more damage. Yeah. And so it's like, well, what? What do we do with that? So just be aware of what you're saying and ensuring that yeah. um, you do that. And, you know, we're all busy and it's it's hard to do that. But I think rather than trying to say things like, let me know if you need anything, mm-hmm. it's what do you need? Mm-hmm. So if we can just frame that differently. Yeah. Because then the person is empowered to choose and guide the traffic rather than oh, now I'm left hanging and now I need to ask for help, which is really hard to do yeah. and I don't want to feel like a burden and that type of thing. So I think it's just being really aware of our language and what yeah. what we can and can't offer I as really well. like that example of let me, because if someone was to say to me, let me know if you need anything, I would be inclined to be like, oh, no, no, like I'm fine or yeah, yeah, of course I will. But probably with no intention of ever doing that mm. because I'll just keep everything inside, yeah, <laughs> which because, I don't recommend doing. But. Because the energy and vulnerability it takes to do that. Yes, yeah. Is sometimes you're weighing up whether it's worth it. Yeah. Whereas if someone was to say to me, what do you need or what, what can what, I do for what you can now? I do for you right now? You're almost like put on the spot in a good way to be like, oh, oh maybe we could do this on the weekend or maybe you could come over on this day or maybe, you know, like it almost prompts you in a different way to actually give an answer mm. rather than fob it off. Yeah, it's not left up in the air and mm. ambiguous. It's fairly mm-hmm. direct. Yeah, um, I like that. Because sometimes people will be like, yeah, I'm not a big hugger. I don't mind hugging for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, a friend of mine is like, I just need a hug. I was yeah. like, that's okay. I can give you a hug. Yeah. You know. I'm still able to do that. Um, Or they might just be like, no, I just want to watch TV or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So I think that's one of the things to be really mindful of. And one of the things that I think we we have high risk of at the moment is perfectionism Mm. and this filtered life. Mm -hmm. And I love personal development. Mm -hmm. I love looking at the human condition. I love trying to grow as a person and all of those things. But it's not just about mindset, mm-hmm. that it's beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think something that we need to be really mindful of, it's not just about thinking positively mm-hmm. and that will miraculously change everything, mm-hmm. that it's about being with the person and what do they need to process. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't express our feelings or process what's happened in our life, it comes out in other ways. 100%. It's yeah. angry bell. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's drinking, mm-hmm. it's social media, it's sugar, it's, mm-hmm. you know, so many different things that our behaviours, we try and suppress things. 
but it builds up. Mm. We need to let the let the air out and, yeah, and not have the pressure cooker. So I think that's one of the things is to realise that it's not just as easy as thinking positively. Yeah. I don't know. Have you experienced that? I definitely think that there's, like, power in mindset and reframing how you think, but I definitely, you know, I believe it also takes work. Yes. Like, you can't, I don't personally think if I just think I'm not depressed anymore, I'm going to be not depressed. Like, it's going to help to change my outlook, but I still need to do the things. Yes. You know, I need to talk to people I need to get outside and I'm just using this as an example obviously but mindset and work need to go together yes you can't just think positive and everything's going to be better yeah or just write your three <laughs> things to be grateful for yeah. and everything's going to be amazing in your life because life isn't that like that we yeah. have lots of different experiences and I totally agree with you like it's not to say that i'm anti-positive mindset no no reframing how you think and all that you know there's so much science and personal experience that would suggest that that's what we need to do we need to have hope we need to look forward we need to Mm -hmm. have those things but it's also about acknowledging what's not going well yeah and what do we need to do with that and that takes work yeah and that work isn't just six months of therapy i'm done Mm. You know, it's life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're always learning and we're always growing, you know. Yeah. And I think one, one of the really interesting things is as you get older, I've had a real shift in the last, well, probably last year's experiences, Donna, as well. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, there's different things that you're experiencing and you're evolving as a person. Mm. And the way you view the world and everything that happens in your life is amazing. You know, I get really cross. I mean, it's probably because I've worked in paediatric palliative care. Mm -hmm. When people turn 50 and think their life is over, it's like Mm -hmm. maybe it's just beginning. Yeah. Um, You know, different phases of life have different advantages and um, things that happen. So I think, um, yeah, we shift and evolve and what we need is different. Definitely, definitely. But, yeah, positive mindset is good. Just don't overdo it <laughs> yes. and realise there's uh, there's a bit of living that happens as well. Yeah, because, like, you know, if you are feeling down or sad or whatever, if you're just trying to tell yourself that you're not, that's, for me, you're not being, or that's not me being authentic. You know, I, I'm able to have highs because I also experience lows. You know, yes. it's all part of life. Yeah, and imagine every time you cried or felt upset, someone said, cheer up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's just flick a switch and do that. Um, and so I think that's, as a society, we just need to be really mindful of, yeah. um, you know, the highlight reel, even the way that we look on social media mm-hmm. um, at other people's lives and think that they've got it together mm-hmm. and everything's perfect in their life. And it's like, no, um, you yeah. know, everyone has days where they don't feel wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the next day might be better. Definitely. Um, yeah. It might have depression or whatever is happening but it's actually about going okay what do I need to do with this Mm -hmm. Mm, how do I work through it yeah yeah so with like looking back with hindsight through everything that you've been through that we've talked about how do you feel about the path that you've had it's really interesting because I couldn't imagine being where I'm at without all the stuff yeah and of course I didn't want my dad to die you know of course I don't want to be in bed every yeah. minute outside work. Mm-hmm. Um, of course I want to be connected and 
you know, have great relationships and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's what makes me me. Yes. And I think something that I'm trying to get used to is this talking and speaking about mental health and my own lived experience is it's fascinating to me because it's like, oh, why would anyone want to hear that? Mm. But also what I've learnt is it's relatable, it's normalising things. We need to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I can't imagine life without uh, mental illness in it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I don't, I live a, I live a really rich life in so many ways, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's informed it mm-hmm. as well. And we can't change the past. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I, I remember when I worked at Cantina, a lot of the young people who had cancer themselves used to talk about they would never take cancer back. Yeah. And I think I probably feel the same about my experiences. Yeah. So actually it is, it's shaped me and given me purpose and meaning that's beyond what I potentially may have been. Yeah. You know, if I was that filmmaker, mm-hmm. would I have missed the point? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, because everything you've been through makes you the excellent professional that you are now. Well, hopefully. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and I know I'm not for everyone either, but um, and I think I can feel a real transition mm-hmm. and I think that's why I'm really passionate about the workplace mental health yeah. piece because if we can prevent things rather than people coming to me in crisis, mm-hmm. how much better our life would be if we can have these conversations, if we can ensure that people are going, how are you and how are you really, and tell the truth and then go, okay, what do we do with that? What support do you need? Mm-hmm. How does this work? Like coming back from burnout is a really long road. Mm-hmm. And so if we can prevent that, if we can have people processing their anxiety, processing depression or whatever is happening in their world, how much better our life would be as a collective. Definitely. Yeah, so... It's um, beautiful. Yeah, there's a bit of a shift, but yeah, my lived experience informs everything that mm-hmm. I do and that's why I can get on my soapbox about mm-hmm. toxic positivity and yeah. things like that. But, um, yeah, there's some great things and I love that we're having these conversations so that beautiful. it's not like the 80s when everyone yeah. swept it under the carpet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, as we've discussed, like it is, it's we're making progress, and that is um, great to see. There's always going to be more progress to be made, but we are taking small steps forward. I think every yeah. day. Yeah, definitely. So, if anyone would like to contact you, or maybe like, um, what what ways can they work with you? Uh, so you can work with me. I'm doing less one-on-ones at mm-hmm. the moment um, because I'm focusing more on the speaking and workplace wellbeing workshops and um, doing coaching in workplaces around how people are. Yeah. So um, I'm doing that. But, yeah, my business is called Ignite Wellbeing Co. So it's ignitewellbeing.com.au. Mm-hmm. I'm on LinkedIn uh, under Belle Ryan and um, Instagram right well-being co so yeah I love being creative and creating you know someone might come to me with a um a tricky workplace issue or whatever and I love developing stuff to help people through that so um that's so cool and I've seen the pictures and stuff um on the stories and it looks like a lot of fun you know yeah it's fun but we're also you know delving a little bit deeper over here yeah yeah (laughs) we're talking about um 
calling elephants in the room and having conversations or just expressing and looking at self-care strategies yeah. because we all know what we should do but we need reminders of that sometimes. So yeah. um, that's what I love doing is reminding people of what they can do for themselves. That's incredible. Well, that was beautiful. So I think with that, we're going to round up the episode. Belle, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast first birthday. I've spent my afternoon with you and it's been amazing. So thank you, thank you very much for coming. Thank you. It's been fun just to, <laughs> to let it all out and uh, see yeah. what happens. So, um, guys, I hope you have enjoyed the episode. In fact, I know you will have enjoyed that episode. So thank you very much for tuning in and I will see you next time. Doei! If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.